0: welcome to audiobook test drive in today's episode we are featuring an excerpt from Louis: the life of a real spy written by Derek Haynes Louis is a gripping story of the life of a professional wartime spy from his boyhood education in Egypt in the early 1900s he was being prepared to serve in the newly formed British Secret Service Bureau on the orders of Abbas Il Hilmi the Kadive of Egypt and Sudan, as part of a secret arrangement with the British government to supply young operatives for the newly formed Bureau. In his early teens, he is separated from his foster mother to make the dangerous journey to England in the middle of the First World War to complete his education and training as a British wartime spy. From Dulwich College through Oxford University, he is meticulously prepared for his life as a British undercover war operative. From his first dangerous mission in Port Said through to his last in South Africa in the 1960s, Louis is the story of a professional chameleon who survived wars and conflicts on his instincts, cunning, and ruthlessness. Louis was a quiet, heroic man who lived an extraordinary life. A life of service that should never be forgotten. And now, for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Louis.
1: Chapter One. Dying time. Hospital smell, antiseptic, bleach, fresh paint, bandages, chemicals, and death. In an intensive care ward it is worse, cleaner, more antiseptic, more death, catheters pushed painfully into collapsed veins in the back of dying hands, tubes, machines, oscilloscopes, beeps, monitors, syringes, nurses with false smiles, giving false hope. For an old man there was little hope of leaving, Being catheterized, wired, tubed, needled, monitored, tired and unable to move from his uncomfortable deathbed, he knew his time had come. He only had to wait patiently. His face did not look like the face of a dying man. His portly physique puffed his face just enough to avoid wrinkles, and his bald head shined as it always had. His hair, in a ring from ear to ear at the back of his head, was still dark, even if touched now with a little grey. His thick black moustache was still black and luxuriant, though. He wondered how long it had been since he had trimmed it. Every three days was his routine, but he didn't have a mirror to check if it needed trimming. An olive complexion hides age well. Although covered by a sheet and light blanket, his pot-belly stomach was still very noticeable. He had never tried to lose it, as it was a sign of wealth and well-being for him. Unlike other patients in this intensive care ward, he looked very alive. No outward signs of imminent death, not even signs of wrinkling grey skin or momentary losses of consciousness. His dark brown eyes still held their ability to stare, interrogate, scare, and befriend. His smile did not work, but then again it never really had since his childhood. It was his heart that was letting him down now. Until two days ago it had worked as it always had overtime. Keeping his portly frame alive as he pushed it to its limit as he had always done one sharp pain in his chest and a rapid loss of consciousness had signalled his impending demise however his wife and neighbours acted fast and called an ambulance that had also reacted quickly he was thinking now though that it probably would have been better if no one had acted so fast what was the point in prolonging the inevitable? He knew he would not survive, and the time he had been given was only useful to think, remember, and file his life in his mind before it was wiped clean by death. With the time to contemplate one's looming demise, it gives the opportunity to cleanse one's mind and admit to wrongs and guilt. Make a deathbed statement. Solve the secrets for the living. Answer the questions they have been too afraid to ask. Ask for a priest and admit your sins. Tell the people you love that you love them. Forgive the ones who have wronged you. He wasn't sure he should or could do any of these things. His secrets were for the grave, and had been paid well to ensure they were but he wondered about the secrets he wasn't paid to keep. Should he tell those close to him who he was and wasn't? Did he even know all the answers himself? Should he tell his wife who he really was? The name she had married was only one of many, and did he really know who he was himself anyway? Too many years had passed to remember in detail and what of the secrets that had been kept from him? It was too late now to discover the truth. He resigned himself to dying without answers, as it didn't really matter anyway. Who would care? He remembered that he had always liked to believe he was born in 1899, although there was no certificate to prove or disprove it. He had never been sure of the day and month, but in his own mind— He had made his birthday the first of April, when he was in his teens, but didn't know at the time that this was a foolish day to choose. He wondered what information his wife had given the hospital, or which certificates, passports, or I.D. papers she may have supplied. Who did they think he was? His ability to speak was rapidly starting to desert him, so he thought it would be too difficult to ask a nurse and start a long conversation. He was comforted, though, after seeing his chart when the nurses took his temperature and blood pressure. The name was correct, at least. It was the name that said he was born in England in 1902, not Cairo in 1904. When he arrived in 1962, He had tried to ensure all his records matched his immigrant identity and hoped that his employers had done the same, but he knew there was no guarantee, not that it really mattered now, he was dying. He thought about his gravestone, 1902 to 1973. So, he would die at 71 years old in a place a long way from his past. The past. He knew who his father was, but had never met him. He didn't know who his real mother was. He only knew his adopted mother. He tried to remember the last time he had seen her. It was during the First War, so it must have been around 1916 in Cairo. He tried to picture her face. As hard as he tried, he couldn't any more. He tried to remember his friends. There were many, many people he had known through his life, but few he could call friends, and few of them were alive anyway. It was easier to recall his enemies. Of those, there were many, and probably still very much alive. He counted his luck that he had made it to his deathbed without any of them finding him. At least, his death would be natural." His mind moved back to when he had first arrived here, of the first night, and remembering how terrified he was. How he couldn't sleep that first night without the assurance of a revolver under his pillow. He had always fallen asleep with the comforting metallic smell of his revolver near his nostrils. There were no weapons now, no enemies to fear, hopefully. It was the first night of his new life in May of 1962, with a new identity, a new country, and new lies and new reasons to live out his life, and new people to convince. Secrets It now seemed they were so easy to keep, not long until they were buried with him. He thought of his wife coming daily and sitting quietly with him for two hours exactly. She was always one for routines. Were there any secrets she should know? That he had killed? Stolen? Betrayed? And lied for most of his life? No. His books? Maybe. Father? No. Mother? Maybe. He felt she deserved something more for her loyalty, respect, and discretion. Maybe tomorrow, he decided. For now, he felt very tired.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Louis. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.